I had one of my best friends from uh, Ritz Carlton called me and said, is everything okay? You're, um, what are you doing at a gym? And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, people don't understand why I'm doing this. this right. They don't get this industry at all. My hotel friends thought something was wrong with my career. <laughs> This is Pete Moore at Halo Talks. We're on the Dream Architect series. We have the pleasure of having Samira Milione, who I've known for six years in the health and fitness industry. And I have to uh, be ashamed and say that this is the first time we've actually met in person. But we have had audio communication and email communication uh, frequently for the last six years. So it's great to finally meet you in person. It's a pleasure to meet you too, Pete. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and Samara, I believe, has been probably the first well-known female CEO of a large health and fitness company over the last 20 years. So she's basically broke the corporate ceiling and led a path for other people to excel in this industry. And I think after you, there have been several CEOs and, and women that have really kind of taken over and, and somewhat changed the industry. Uh, so I want to welcome you here today. Thank, Thank you, you for coming here. Uh, and wanted to start off so our listeners understand what you used to do, where you grew up, and what you were like in high school and what kind of brought you into the, the halo sector? Yeah, so uh, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. I was actually born and raised in Washington, which is an anomaly. People say, you're really born in D.C.? I said, oh, that's right, Georgetown University Hospital, so you don't get more D.C. than that. Um, went to American University, but uh, grew up outside in the suburbs, and uh, I wanted to be a diplomat. I thought I was going to go in the Foreign Service. Um, I was always interested in foreign affairs. That's what we talked about around the table. It was, you know, growing up in Washington, my mom was at the World Bank. My dad was an academic at American University. So it was interesting, and um, I took a left turn that I have enjoyed for the past 30-some-odd years, and the, the, the left turn occurred when I was graduating from college and I was uh, at a job fair, and the vice president of um, human resources for Hyatt was there, and they were recruiting for a brand-new hotel, and they were looking for people to come and work there. And the woman said, I've watched you all day, and you seem to have, like, this hospitality bug. You're going around and checking on everybody and making sure everybody's, you know, attended to. And, and have you ever thought about being a concierge? And I literally had never heard the word before. I had no idea wow. what a concierge was. And that's what started my path into hospitality. My first job out of um, college was working for Hyatt Hotels. Wow. And I went from there. So when you were back in high school, were you... A, a fitness buff? Were you a runner? Were you on any sports teams? I was, um, I lettered in cross country. Um, yes, I was definitely into fitness. I was president of my class. Uh, I did all the school plays. Nice. You know, I was like one of those geeks that ran around and was like in every different group, but, but loved it. Great. So when you started Hyatt, you kind of just learned the corporate ropes and, and understanding how to put management systems in place. Obviously, it's one of the things that you're known for is system strategy operations um, and obviously you had a great brand with with Hyatt so you know, what you learned there that, that you really took with you into the health club industry which it, I would argue um, you know didn't have these systems in place when you first entered uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about that I had two great training grounds one was Hyatt was where I started and then after a couple of years I was really really lucky to be recruited by Ritz Carlton Hotels wow where I spent a decade. I joined Ritz-Carlton when we had five hotels and I left when we had 36 and Marriott was acquiring it. 
and I was there during the application for the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award, which is given out by the Department of Commerce, and we were the first service company to get it. Um, it was usually manufacturing companies that ever applied or got something like that, and so you know, I never got my MBA, but I consider that time at Ritz-Carlton, that 10 years of like learning how to put systems, processes, understanding what makes great customer service, what people are looking for, what that journey is all about. And frankly, I think that's what, when I was speaking at URSA, that's how the sports club company found me because they were about to do a bunch of deals with Ritz-Carlton's in Four Seasons. And Phil Swain at the time, who was the president of um, sports club, said, oh my gosh, you've got a Ritz-Carlton background. We're about to co-locate with all of these five-star hotels and we don't have that capacity. Could you work with us? And so it started out, I was looking at the way they were going to design the spas and then it became an operations job and then we were going to open a a location in Boston. I said, can I be the GM? And one step led to another and 17 years later I was a CEO and it was an amazing journey. Wow. So when you were looking at going to run a health club, uh, and you're coming out of the Ritz Carlton. You know, what people say when they said, "Are you really going to take that job in the gym industry or the the fitness industry?" Sports Club LA at the time was probably not very well known, except you know in basically two urban areas. And I don't think people really understood: is that a really good business or not? Or you know, what kind of risk are you taking? How did you kind of think through those challenges? Uh, so I knew it was the right thing for me because I had the opportunity to to build a brand to really contribute and change an industry. Not that I personally changed it, but contribute to changing it and bringing a different thought about customer service and the customer journey and, and all of that. But I had one of my best friends from uh, Ritz-Carlton called me and said, is everything okay? You're, um, what are you doing at a gym? Are you like folding towels? And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, people don't understand why I'm doing this. This, They don't get this industry at all. My hotel friends thought something was wrong with my career. (laughs) But needless to say, they understand now. So how did you, you know, when you look at the health club industry and obviously looking at the metrics of how many memberships did we sell, how many people left and, you know, why they leave. And I guess coming from the Ritz-Colton mentality, it's like, well, we provide a great service. Everybody comes back. Like we're the... If you have the money and you could afford it and you have the time, I'm going to go to Ritz Carlton. How did you take that on a personal level when you saw the attrition rates of 30, 40, 50% of your people are leaving every year and say, hey, that's not what I do? Well, it's interesting. I think the industry was seeing 50% attrition rates. You know, we were pretty happy to be, we drove those numbers down into the 20s. Um, So I think we made a difference there, which was terrific, you know, kind of changing the expectation of what the nets really do look like. Um, The other piece of it is I had to get through my head that in a hotel, the customer experiences something once. And if there's a problem, they leave and they're probably not back for a week if they're a really frequent business traveler. And they're maybe not back for a year if they're a, a leisure traveler. If there's a problem in a health club, they might be back tonight. And so I had to think about the way that you problem solve and the way that you understand pain points and the way that you really address customer service, not in a let me make it better for next time. It's let me make it better now. Let me do something different now. And that really, I had to kind of change my thought. And I think that did make a difference in the way we looked at attrition. Um, We weren't willing to accept half the people walking out the door every year. It just wasn't going to be okay. And that leads me to the question of, and we worked together before, and obviously we we worked on the financial side and looked at the data. 
Um, but I think from your experience in the hospitality, I, I, my sense is that a lot of that's based on gut and it's based on trusting that the GM or trusting that the person at the front desk or the concierge is under is reading the client. You know, what, what's the concern? How can I solve that? And empowering that person to, to make that decision. So how did you kind of like change the culture of the sports club LA of like, look, it's not exactly the number of members that, that you have, but it might be our net promoter score. It might be when I walk into the club, do I feel like this place is alive or do I feel like we got issues? Like how did, how did you do that as a manager and as a CEO? Yeah, so again, going back to Ritz-Carlton, um, and I referred to the Malcolm Baldridge days that we were there and, and applying for that, the, the hospitality industry was very gut-based. Mm -hmm. um, the KPI concept of KPIs or understanding what we were measuring didn't really exist. And Ritz-Carlton taught me that even if it's looking at um, room service, there's a way to know whether room service is working or not. It's delivery times and how many trays are sent back and all the different things that we measured. And I remembered that and thought about that same way of setting up our KPIs when we were looking at sports clubs. So, you know, yes, it mattered to us how many people were referring and how many people were, you know, net promoter scores and things like that. We put all of that into place so we could measure and it, take it away from the gut and make it a little bit more cerebral. That's great. That's great. So give our, view, our listeners a, uh, an update on what you're doing now uh, and what inspires you to, to be helping entrepreneurs and mostly female entrepreneurs to uh, you know, win at what they do and, and make sure they have the proper support and resources. Yeah, so I think the ecosystem needs to be shaken up a little bit. Um, I think women looking for uh, support out there, whether it's entrepreneurial support, business support, funding support, I think there are people far and few between. And so when we sold um, the sports club company, um, we, um, you know, I took a little break, a very short break, um, spent a couple of years uh, in the private equity side and really saw that there is a need for um, people like me who have been CEOs and understand what it's like to build a brand and build a business to be out there. And so I set up my own entity. It's uh, Soa Ventures. And I'm working with women-founded businesses, um, both in the health and fitness world and outside. And I'm trying to be there both not only with investment resources, but advisory resources, um, anything that I can do to help uh, these women understand kind of better, better, the, better get through the ropes. That's great. That's great. And my last question is, what, what do you want your mark to be over the next several years when you find these companies? You know, you, you're obviously going to play a role at the beginning. Uh, but how do you want to continue on the life cycle of, of being a mentor? Yeah, so because I've, you know, you hate to think about yourself aging. It's not a, <laughs> right. it's not a fun thing to think about. Um, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, yeah, I'm still 25. And you're thinking, <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so thinking about a legacy is important. And I think about legacy twice, uh, two different ways. One is um, I have two daughters that are that are coming up. And so I want them to see what women can do in business mm -hmm. and I think about that from a female entrepreneurs I want them to know that there is somebody who has their back um, because I think there's a lot of competition out there and there are a lot of people who are out to kind of do things for themselves and I think I'm in a position now to give back and so the legacy that I want is that I want to be that woman that when people think about you know she did it and she was there to help others that's what I hope they think about and that I'm passionate about this particular um, you know, ecosystem of women entrepreneurs and that I've been there to give them a leg up. That's great. That's great. Well, the term client actually comes from the, the old term of client is someone under your protection. So it sounds like if you're with Samira, you're under her protection. Exactly so, right. So thanks for being here today on our 
inaugural day of Halo Talks. We look forward to working with you in the future, and congrats on all your success. It's my pleasure, Pete. Thank you.